I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class, but I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me now as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy and I'm a quilter and welcome to episode 145 in which we talk contrast with Jay. I'm recording this earlier in the week, but it is officially going live on Sunday, February 2nd, 2014. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody who is listening, everybody who's always listened, everybody who's just now listening for the first time. Welcome to everybody and... Um, I think this will be a fun episode for you to uh, start out with if you're just joining us for the first time. I am recording this earlier in the week because once again I'm going to be out of town when it actually goes live and since I did have a few episodes with Jay that we were able to uh, record all at once I am taking advantage of that and going ahead and posting them for when I'm out of town. Often when I'm out of town there's just radio silence on my end, but in this case, I get to continue to share the wealth of listening to Jay talk about design. Um, I am, as of this, uh, as you're listening to this, if all went well for my travels the day before this goes live, I am on vacation with my husband in Savannah, Georgia, and um, hopefully having a wonderfully relaxing day. That's what I'm hoping to be doing on the Sunday that this goes live. Um, and right now, as I'm recording this, uh, parts of Georgia have gotten hit with serious ice storms, but I believe that'll all be melted away by the time I go down. And in fact, weather forecasts have it, you know, pretty warm. Actually, almost 70 on one day that we're down there, so I'm looking forward to that. In any case, let me get back to this episode. I'm not going to do a whole lot of preamble. I do have one brief story that just happened today that I do want to share with you. Um, other than that, we're going to get right into the episode with Jay. And since I just posted my last um, episode a couple days ago, I don't really, I can't do listener feedback because I'm getting comments, but I can't, you know, do a lot right now. So I'm going to wait for that until I'm back and can do my next episode after I'm home from vacation. Um, also, as I mentioned in my last episode, yes, indeed, by the time this goes live, the 2014 Quilty resolutions will be completed and um, the, there will be winners of the giveaway, but I won't be able to announce them until I'm home because I'm gone while that all is going on. That was a little bit of poor planning on my part, but we hadn't decided when we were going on vacation when I first set that deadline. So it is what it is. I'm guessing you're going to be waited, waiting with bated breath to find out if you won or not. I'm sorry, you'll just have to wait another week. Um, the story I have to tell. So my, I, my niece and her husband and their new little baby. This is the grand niece that was born back in November. Um, they came over for lunch today because my nephew and I are working together on a project for work. And I said, it's always fun to um, be able to have people over for lunch and call it work and get in some baby cuddles besides. So I, I got to hold my little grand, grand niece and she is really an incredibly wonderful baby. I, I keep telling them that she's going to probably be a wild thing when she hits 12 or 13 because she is just being way too easy on them now. Um, she slept through the night almost from the beginning. She doesn't cry a whole lot. You know, she gets a little fussy when she's hungry, a little fussy when she's tired, but she's not colicky or anything like that. She has been so easy on them. 
<laughs> and I keep telling him, oh, just wait for the other shoe to drop because it'll happen at some point. Um, but in any case, I did get to cuddle her. And, and at one point she did start kind of just fussing a little bit, you know, kind of talking to us, complaining just a little bit. And so at that point, I said to my niece, you go ahead and eat and I will, you know, wander around with her a bit. And she was eh, a little fussy, but she wasn't really crying. Well, I said, you know what, I want to go test something out. And I still have my um, Rapid Fire Hunter Star quilt up on my design wall because I'm still waiting to be inspired for how to quilt it. And that is, if you recall, and I think I did post a picture of it at one point, um, it's a black and white quilt with the stars. The Hunter Stars are red. Um, and so I wandered upstairs into my quilt room with it. And the minute she laid eyes on that quilt, she quieted right down and just stared and stared and <laughs> stared and kind of tilted her head a little bit and kind of stared some more. And so I pulled it off the design wall and we all went back downstairs and I laid it out on a chair where I could sit on an armchair with her. And gall dang it if she didn't stare at that thing for another 10 minutes without taking her eyes off of it. And, you know, you always read that, boy, black, white and red quilts are... are black, white, and red are the really the first colors and contrasts and stuff that babies are able to see. Um, and dang it, it's true. It really is true. Now, I, I knew this from when my kids were babies. Um, my mom had made me a quilt uh, very early on. I mean, it wasn't a baby quilt or anything. It was a wall hanging. And it was, oh, what's it called? Broken Star. Sort of a Lone Star design with a lot of very small diamonds, and the the colors are such that it radiated out from light to dark, and it was in pinks, kind of pinks and dusty roses, which were kind of the big colors back in the early nineties, um, late eighties, I should say, because my son was born in nineteen ninety, and I already had had this wall hanging for a couple of years. Well. It was the, like I said, it was light rose to dark rose at the end, and then it had a black background. I shouldn't be talking in the past tense. I do still have this wall hanging. It's just, I moved it off the wall because I didn't want it fading too much. Um, but in any case, it's got a black background. So it's not, you know, the super high contrast of white, black, and red, but it's definitely a little higher contrast. And my son used to, when he was that same age, when he was two, three, four months old, up until probably he was nine or 10 months old, he used to just lay and stare at that thing for the longest time. So it really is true. High contrast attracts babies. And of course, since I hadn't decided what to do with that Hunter Star quilt, and since some of it is scrap from the baby quilt I made for her, I said, well, if she's that into this thing, I guess she needs it for her nursery wall. And my, my niece and nephew were like, oh, really? Yes, that would be great. So now I've, I've, got the, now that it has a home that it's going to, it might actually spur me to get it done a little bit more quickly. I still have to figure out what I'm doing for quilting, but it was just really cool to see um, that it, it is true. Babies just love that kind of contrast. So if you are doing anything for a baby in your life, you might want to consider red, white, and black or anything that's really the super high color, uh, contrast, but really those are the colors they see earliest on to be able to distinguish. Um, so anyway, that's my little story to start the episode. And um, now, like I said, the rest of the the episode is going to be um, the interview with Jay. And I'm going to go ahead and give you my contact information now so that I can just put this intro on there and then get it all ready and, and get it posted and then take the dogs out and give them dinner because Sammy is pushing at me right now with his head in my lap. So it must be done. <laughs> 
<laughs> so um, you know how you can get a hold of me. You can email me at Sandy Quilts at Sandy, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z at gmail.com. That's my um, handle pretty much everywhere online is Sandy Quilts. You can find me on Flickr, Goodreads. Um, I don't have my list in front of me. I'm sorry. Flickr, Goodreads, Pinterest, uh, Twitter, oh, anywhere. I'm Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook. You can join the Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Flickr. And you can, of course, join the Quilting for the Rest of Us team on Kiva and do good all over the world. And you can find links for all of those things at the show notes to this episode. You will also find a link to Jay's blog. Um, when this goes live, she will also have a blog post available that will supplement this information. So I would definitely encourage you to make sure you go check out her blog as well. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Jay about contrast. Okay, I'm back again with Jay, and we're talking about the design principles. I'm sorry, Jay, I need to make sure I remember to say Jay of Art Quilt Maker fame. And, of course, in the show <laughs> notes to this episode, we will, um, as I do in all of these design episodes, I will make sure I link up to your blog so people know where to find you. Um, but we're continuing our design series. So what are we talking about for this episode? Hi, everyone. Um, today we're going to talk about contrast. And as Sandy mentioned, I'll have a blog post up about this, as I do for all of the design series, so you can see the notes that I'm working from. Okay. So and contrast is... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to um, say again for anybody who might be a new listener that this is part of an ongoing series for like the last, what, two years? I think we've been doing this for a while. And um, I will link a category search for all of the design um, episodes so that you can backtrack and, and catch up if you're just joining us now. Yeah, and if you search for design series on my blog, you can find all of them. Okay, great. And I link back to Sandy. Sandy links to me. It's just a very fun linking party. All one right. big happy family for these. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's now, now we can jump right in. What are you going to um, share with us about contrast? So contrast is a principle of design, but there are a couple of things that I wanted to say before we jump into the definitions. Last time we talked about emphasis and focal point however long ago that was, <laughs> and we brought up contrast in that. And one thing I had said was we're getting to the point where we're going to be talking a lot about other elements and principles as we talk about the elements and principles going forward. So it's really good to at least look at my notes, but really good if you can listen to the podcast for those previous episodes as well. And I assume they're all still available, aren't they? I know you changed your I did. They're, they're not necessarily available at the quiltingfortherestofus.com site, although I will, again, I'll be linking in so you should be able to get them there, but they are all back on iTunes. I've now got all of my episodes will show up when you go to my show on iTunes itself. Oh, that's good. And so you can just listen to those episodes, although you really should listen to all of Sandy's episodes. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, so we're going to get into definition. So we all know from looking at the gazillions of quilts that we look at that one of the biggest 
contrast things in quilt making is a two-color quilt. So white and dark or uh, white and red, blue and white, all of those kind of quilts basically use contrast. But the, but the definition of contrast is the juxtaposition of differing elements and principles which can provide tension in visual interest. So when you have a red and white quilt, there's tension between those two colors, although I know white isn't necessarily a color. If we want to get technical about it. Yeah, well, we could talk about that later. <laughs> but there is tension between those two fabrics, shall we say. And that's what you want to create. I used a color example, but it can be with other elements as well, which is what the definition said, big and small, um, other kinds of light and dark. We'll, we'll get more into it. So unless you're looking to create a sense of chaos or absence, you it's really good to learn to manage the contrast present in your artwork so as not to overwhelm or bore the viewer. Last time we talked about boring, and it had to do with unity, disrupting the unity, and that is true in this case as well. It's the placement of varying elements, including color, within a design that creates the contrast. Okay, so again, we are, as quilters, we tend to always think of color when we think contrast is because that's where it always comes up. You don't have enough contrast in your fabric, so we tend to think of that. But in, in terms of the principle of design, it's really a much broader term. Right. And it, it helps us to expand our design horizons to try and think about what else could create contrast in a quilt. Some of the modern quilts that have a lot of negative space and then a few design elements in the design field, that is really contrast. Yes, it might be other things, other elements and principles, but it's also contrast. You're contrasting a lot of negative space with a small amount of design elements. Okay, so we're going to talk about types of contrasts. And while none of the elements that we've dealt with since symmetry have as many different types <laughs> symmetry as symmetry, <laughs> there are a lot. Um, and in this section, you might want to put us on pause for a second and run and get your color wheel because it might be useful. I'm going to talk a little bit later on about... Um, color in this section, and I don't know where my design, my color wheel went. Oh well, <laughs> hope I don't so need it. <laughs> do we need to pause so Jay can go? Find her no, color wheel? it's fine. It's fine. I have a, I have a, an idea in my mind. Oh, here it is. I have a little postcard from C and T with their studio color wheel, which, as an unpaid advertisement, is really the best color wheel that I've found. I really like it. So go and get yourself one. They have posters. And I'm not getting paid, as I said. <laughs> All right. Anyway, types of contrast. We're moving on here. Um, so the first one is emphasis by contrast. And I think we talked about this one before, but we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah, we did talk about it. 
when we talked about emphasis and focal point. But So go back and review that episode, but I want to bring it up from a different angle, the contrast angle rather than the emphasis angle. When you have a prevailing design scheme and one element contrasts with that design scheme, the element becomes the focal point because it is in contrast to the rest of the piece. So if we, we talked a lot about a red and white sawtooth star quilt several episodes ago. We were kind of using that as a, as a theme. So if you have, if you're making a red and white quilt, sawtooth star quilt, that is your prevailing design scheme. If you then put in, say, a print fabric that is mostly red with some white as one of the sawtooth stars, that creates contrast. And that's what I'm talking about. Okay. I've also, I'm also picturing, and I, I'm sorry, I don't remember which book I saw this in because I've been reading a lot of design books lately. Um, there was an art quilt that where everything in there was very fluid and organic and lots of curves, and then there was one piece that was very stark and pointy and square. And so We're going to get to that. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> it's Oops. okay. We're going to get to that. But you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, although this is more um, not something different. It's something the same that creates contrast, which is why I used the sawtooth star example with different fabrics. Okay. But you, you, you'll see in okay. a minute. I'll wait. So the next type of contrast is contrast of scale. Remember, we talked about scale. It has to do with the size of things. Unusual or unexpected scale is arresting and attention-getting. Sheer size does impress us. So if something is really big in a quilt, I, let's use the sawtooth star example again. So let's say that we have a sawtooth star quilt and each of the stars is 6 inches, but one of the stars is 12 inches or 18 inches and all the little stars surround it. That is contrast of scale. You're making a big statement because of size. Um, we also have contrast of hue. This is the easiest contrast to attain by simply using pure, intense, diluted colors. Now, this is a little different than just, say, the red and white quilt that we were talking about. This is, the important part of this is the pure, intense, undiluted colors. So, no gray or black in those colors, just the pure hue. This contrast is greatest when using primary color combination of red, yellow, and blue. So if you get some of those um, Tsukineko inks, the pure ones, not, not the, the ones with gray or black in them, and you paint, you will really see what I'm talking about here. And then you can cut up the fabric and make it into um, a quilt, quilt block. And I think that's probably true with some of the dyes that you use, Sandy. 
Yeah, there are certain that um, if you use them straight up without mixing them with anything else, they're a very pure, intense color. So there's another way of creating contrast of hue in your quilt. Except if you don't want to dye, like I do not dye fat, dye fabric. <laughs> I just buy it from somebody and then make it. Eventually make I'll my... get to the point where I'll sell it to you. So. <laughs> okay. All right. So light and dark contrast. Using black and white is the boldest contrast obtainable. Pretty easy concept, right? Cold, warm contrast. I was really interested in this. I had never thought about it, but when I read about it, it made sense. The color combination of red-orange versus blue-green is the strongest warm-cold contrast. And this is where you might want to look at your color wheel and find red-orange and find blue-green and look at them and just think about that warm-cold contrast. The contrast of temperature is very effective when trying to depict depth. The contrast, the concept of near and far or three-dimensionality. If you don't make art quilts, you might not do this that much or think about it that much, but you can still depict depth in other kinds of quilts but besides art quilts. If you think about um, tumbling blocks, or there was a quilt by Katie Pasquini, Massapust, I think, where she made a structure, three-dimensional structure. It's not quite a cube. It's sort of an open cube, and it really looks three-dimensional, and she does that just simply using warm and cold. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that I think back in the mid-80s or so, I'm trying to, to funnel through my mother's quilts because she did several of those optical illusion quilts. And that was one of them, the open cube. And and now that I think about the colors, you, like you said, I think it was kind of that cold, warm contrast that helped carry that out. It was a cool quilt. I don't know who ended up with that when she passed away. It was a really cool one. We all liked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's an interesting contrast to think about, though. Um, not one that I normally consider in terms of contrast. I mean, light and dark, black and white, all these different ones, yeah, but not that one so much. And if you look on the color wheel at red-orange and blue-green, um, it would be interesting to play with that color combination. Again, I think we mentioned last time postcards. Is that last time or the yes, time before? I think it was just last time. But... Um, you could you could take some of those colors and play around with them in a postcard and see what you get yeah. in postcard format. So the next one is complementary contrast. This gives a sense of equilibrium to the eye of the viewer. The pairs of colors that lie opposite each other, look on your color wheel, um, have a diametric contrast to each other. They complete one another, but can also cancel each other out. Complementary contrasts are generally considered pleasing to work with and offer the artist the opportunity to hone his or her skills in creating balance. Okay, remember, I promised you we were going to talk about other things. And I looked up diametric just to make sure that 
I knew what it was, and it means completely opposed, being at opposite extremes, which makes sense if we're talking about complementary colors. If you look on a color wheel, at the top of my color wheel is yellow, and right across from that is violet. Those are complementary colors, and that's what we're talking about here. Simultaneous contrast is a mind bender because it's perceived by the viewer rather than being objectively present. When a pair of direct complements are used together in their pure hues, exclusive of any other part of the color wheel, the line where, where the colors meet will look as though it is moving. This happens because the colors are contrasting off of each other at the same time. Our eye has a hard time discerning where one intensity begins and the other ends, thus causing the sense of movement or sizzle. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in certain black and white prints, they are hard to work with because they move. Yes. I mean, they look like they're moving. <laughs> if yeah. they're really moving, then we've moved into <laughs> Harry Potter realm. The same is true for colors. And I mean, not black or white. And there was a very interesting quilt. It was maybe four blocks, eight-pointed star, something similar to that. And it was two colors and they were right across from each other on the color wheel. And even in the photo in the book, which I believe it was in A Fiber Artist's Guide to Color and Design. That's a great book, by the way. Everyone should buy it. Yep. Not being paid. <laughs> it was the edges were moving. The, the edge between the two colors really looked like they were moving. It was interesting and strange. Yeah, those are the quilts I actually have problems looking at because they make me just a hair carsick. And it's it's because of that. It's the discernment of movement where there's no actual movement and my brain doesn't know what to do with it. So. Yeah, and and I have a, a friend who will get a headache from looking at those kind of prints or quilts. If we're at a quilt show, we have to move on. Yeah. <laughs> So what we're saying, listeners, is you can certainly play with that, but be careful because you might be making people sick. <laughs> yeah, and the interesting part is that it's perceived by the viewer rather than the maker creating something. Right. I mean, you might, now that you know, you might go, ooh, I'm going to do that and see what happens. But it, what is fine for me, I might see the movement creates car sickness in you, and a headache in my friend. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting to think about the, the different perceptions. Um, so if anybody knows about that, if anybody's a scientist and can tell us more about that perception thing, I'd love to hear about it. But now we're moving on to okay. contrast of saturation. <laughs> so contrast of saturation refers to the contrast between pure, intense colors and dull, diluted colors. I am not judging Civil War prints here. I am merely <laughs> repeating what one of the books said. Saturation can be diluted in four basic ways. The addition of white, black, gray, or a color's complement. So that means, like we were talking about before, adding red-orange to your blue-green. 
the purity of the color is changed, but also the inherent temperature, brilliance, behavior, and emotional response. So if you do this, it creates a different kind of contrast. You're changing the temperature, or you're changing the brilliance, or you're changing the behavior. And how you see that is what else you put with those colors that you've made. Now, in quilting, we don't really make colors. We don't mix up the fabrics for the most part. Yes, people who dye do, but you might dye something and then put it on your shelf and not use it for a year. Right. So in this case, we would have to look at the fabrics that we have or the fabrics in the shop and find that difference in temperature, brilliance, etc., using fabrics that are available. Well, and what, imagine, what immediately comes to mind for me when you talk about this contrast of saturation is the number of times when I've done my own scrap quilts and the, the questions I hear other people when they're first starting to do scrap quilts is, can you really use, for example, batiks and Civil War repros in the same quilt? Because, and that's where that comes from is there's a difference in saturation, and there's a question about how well does that work together. And I think generally the answer is, yeah, sure, you can. Um, you may just, depending on the effect you're going for, you might have to handle it carefully. Um, we'll find out right as of this recording. I'm in the middle of Scrappitude, and I've got everything in there. So, <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, and that's a great example. Scrap quilts are a great example of this for exactly the reasons you said. And you could move those Civil War repros to not hit the batiks quite on the seam line, but putting them together might give you an interesting uh, temperature change. Yeah, or be, I tried to be good and behave myself while I was sewing the units together to not overly control <laughs> You know, but there were there were a couple of times when I'd pick up two pieces and I, I would just cringe. No, I cannot, for the life of me, put those two pieces together. Now, the fact that it's a mystery quilt, those two pieces may end up eventually next to each other, and I won't be able to do anything about it. But that that is part of what I'm reacting to, is the intensity next to the, you know, the browned or the grayed or the toned color. Um, is That's a bit of a struggle, I think, for us quilters. I think so, too. And it will be interesting to see the different quilts. I'm working on that quilt, too, but I don't have a lot of brown in my scrap basket, which I'm trying to use. I don't have any of those Civil War repros, so my dolls, for example, are going to be a lot brighter than other people's. Right. I think. I mean, we'll see. Well, from you know, my pictures so far, I think that's probably true. Yeah. That would be interesting. So, anyway, back to contrast. So, so think about contrast of saturation when you're working on your scrapitude quilts, and it's not too late to join in. The, it's a pretty moderately scheduled mystery quilt. So um, one thing that you were talking about when you said, oh, I can't put this next to this, is contrast of extension, because it is the contrast between space and size using two colors, and I'm assuming that when you were talking about that, it was putting that large triangle next to the smaller ones. So contrast of extension is 
the contrast between space and size using two colors, one light and pure and the other dark or dull. Shapes will look larger or smaller depending on the brilliance of the colors and how much two colors contrast with each other. A sharp contrasting color can give a small object more significance in a large space. This, um, I think we had a, a discussion about a tree and really small leaves in the last episode. And this, while in the last episode we talked about focal point, using contrast of extension can create can help you create a focal point with those two small leaves, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I think I'm grasping this. So basically, if you have, well, let's use a four patch, for example, because we're both doing a lot of those for Scrapitude at the moment. Um, if you have a four patch and three of the patches are darker, duller colors, and then one is this sort of intense, pure, saturated color, that one's going to automatically look a little bit bigger, even though they're all the same size, because it, it jumps out at you more. Is that yeah, what we're talking about here, or is this more a specifically if you've got things of two different sizes? It has to do with space and size. What you said is true, but this has to do with space and size. So imagine um, one of the other units for Scrapitude. And I'm sorry for the people who aren't do doing Scrapitude that Let's we're using these examples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the units is um, square, but it's made of half of a, a large triangle, two small triangles, and a square. So half of it is just one triangle, a 90-degree triangle, and the other one is two triangles and a square. If you make one of those small triangles a orange batik and all the rest of the of the fabrics, the large triangle, the square, the other small triangle are Civil War repros, maybe a little more gray or brown in them, that small orange triangle will stand out more than the other ones, even though it's smaller. Okay. And that might not be a great example because I think it has to do with a small object in a large space, but it gives it will give people the idea. So small objects in a large space automatically lead my brain back to modern quilting where there's so much negative space, and then you may have two or three small design elements in there, if those design elements were all, you know, a lot of modern quilts have a gray background. So let's say those two or three design elements were a grayed out color, they would not stand out as much as if they're a more saturated color. Correct. Okay. So if they were red, three red squares in on a gray background would really stand out, even okay. though they're really small. Right. They would have more significance. Okay. Now I think we're with you. Hopefully our listeners are too. <laughs> <laughs> so the last type of contrast is contrast of value. Often the key to the success of a strong design is when there are So this is often the key to success of a strong design, contrast of value. When there are many colors present, it's harder to judge value. But 
it is critical to be able to see value changes in a color composition and employ them to the advantage of the design. Two different colors with the same value in a composition can have less contrast or impact than two different values of the same colors. If you look at two colors of fabric next to each other, they can have the same value even though one is red and one is blue. And what we're talking about here is if you do that in some cases, the impact won't be as strong as if you had a turquoise blue and a navy blue. So the contrast might, depending on your whole design, might be more with the blues than it would with the red and the blue. Okay, so that speaks to what is that phrase that color gets all the credit but value does all the work or, or something like that. There's a phrase around there. Yeah, I don't always believe that, but it depends. You have to look at your fabrics, look at the colors, look at the values of them, and make your choices accordingly. If you're doing a two-color quilt or red and white sawtooth, this has no bearing right. on that. It's when you get into maybe a uh, you're using a line of fabric. This is a great example. If you're using a line of fabric, I think it's important to take out 20% of the line and put in your own because that whole line goes together. You're not going to have enough contrast of value to make any part of it stand out. Right. For the most part. There are always exceptions. Well, and I'd also point out that value can be tricky. You can't always rely on the eye alone. I'm working on a, a project for my design study group, and I'm trying to create a background out of my two-and-a-half-inch square scraps. And I'm doing it, um, uh, what are, we're supposed to be doing analogous colors is what we're working on. And I started laying it out last night, and it kept not looking right to me. And I'm looking at it, you know, just with my eyes, and, and the colors are all right, but something wasn't sitting right, and so I took a black and white picture of it on my camera. And converting it to black and white, I can very clearly see where the value issues are. And so now I'll be able to go back in and rearrange accordingly based on that value um, rather than just what my eye was interpreting it as. So, you know, that's, that's also part of that value contrast is don't rely on the human eye because the human eye can't always see value as clearly as what we would like to. Correct. There is a, um, a tool called the Ultimate Design Tool, and it goes with... Joan Wolfram's color book, and in that, it, it's, it's like a, um, a pack of paint chips, but they're all together, and it coordinates with that color wheel I was talking about, but it also has two pieces of mylar or something similar. One is green and one is red, and you, if the, what you did, if the black and white doesn't work, you can look at your quilt through this green and red mylar and also see value changes or where there are no value changes. Right. 
that is a great tool. Again, not getting paid, but go buy it because it's awesome. I would say the same thing. I own that, and I use that as well, but I just happen to have my cell phone handier, so that was a little bit faster. No, but if that hadn't worked, you would have gone to the other right. thing, right? Yeah. That's so. why we all need to have as many tools at our disposal as we can. Yes. So and don't feel guilty for shopping. That's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're dangerous to know. <laughs> all right, so we went through all the different types of contrast, which were a lot. And I know all of your fabulous listeners memorized them all and are standing in front of their design walls working with all those. Unless they're driving. That means they're going to go home and do it first. <laughs> Correct. Right. So now there are a couple of notes that we have that will inform you when you're working at your design wall. First one is that art is at its best when the contrasts included provide managed, well-balanced interest in such a way so as not to fatigue the participants. I have to admit that sometimes looking at those surrealist paintings, they make me tired. Uh, Salvador Dali, great guy, but Where's some of his, yeah, I can't, I, I don't like going, paying extra to go see a whole exhibit of his stuff because I get exhausted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not that it doesn't have contrast, but it's just a little chaotic for me, right. my perception only. There are at least seven different types of contrast which we talked about, many of which have to do with color, but not all. You can have contrast of big and small, for example, in your quilt, as well as color or other things. So just if, there, if there's only one thing that you remember from this episode is that contrast is not only about color. There are other contrasts as well. One interesting thing that I found in doing this research is that each art form has its own type of contrast. For example, in a book or a movie, the contrast might be good versus evil. In a recipe, contrast might be sweet and salty. In a woven shawl, you might have smooth and nubby fibers. And I thought about those for a while because even though I can't get sweet or salty in my quilt, I really don't want people licking my quilts, <laughs> I, it made me think about how that concept could apply to my quilt. Is there a visual version of sweet and salty? Is there a visual version of good and evil? For example. Right. Well, and I think the, the first thought that came to me when you said the woven shawl is, well, what about contrast of texture? Because you can heavily quilt versus lightly quilt, or, or if you incorporate different types of fibers into your quilt, um, that also creates a contrast of texture, which might make certain things stand out more than others. That is a great idea. That is a great thought because we didn't talk about texture at all. And I know that now there's um, just making a baby quilt um, isn't always what people want to do and they're doing different things to make a more texture -y 
So using different types of fabrics or putting those little loops on the edge instead of a, a real binding, the ribbon loops. Right. I don't know if you've seen those. It, but your example of quilting is great, too. Yeah, I've seen that used effectively, and m mostly more in art quilts, probably in terms of the images that come to mind, but I think also in modern, modern quilts and the, the, the way your quilting lines might change from shape to shape might mm -hmm. emphasize certain ones over the other. Um, and then traditional quilting, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are examples of it. I just don't have any coming to mind at the moment. But that would be an important contrast as well as how to emphasize something through the quilting. Well, if you have a classic quilt with crosshatch quilting, except around the motifs you've done echo quilting, that is an example of how. That's true. And then, and then that becomes that leads us back to the emphasis focal point episode of Days of Yore, <laughs> in which <laughs> if we're using that contrast then to emphasize particular things or to create focal points. Correct. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So um, another thing to remember is that unity is enhanced when variation and contrast are included in the design. The design's interest is strongest where contrast exists and the unity is broken. We talked about a Storm at Sea quilt last time, and I actually saw one that fit perfectly to what we were talking about, and that is a quilt called Galaxy by John Flynn. He is the Flynn frame dude, <laughs> and it's a Storm at Sea quilt, blue and gray, I think, or maybe blue and light, really light kind of um, Civil War uniform gray-blue. But one of the, so that's a unified design. And he breaks up that unity and puts in a couple of patches that are red. Not all over the quilt, but in one section. So it creates contrast and the unity is broken, which makes a strong design. I have a link to it. It's on the Flynn Frame website. John Flynn is the fr Flynn Frame dude. Um, and I'll, I'll put that, I'll put either a link to it or something. And I would, I would say I, I followed through because you had posted that link where I'm, I'm looking, and the, his use of color and contrast there even kind of makes you have to look twice to see what the block is. You know, what you assume is the block is not actually what the block is, but the way he's recolored it. So that's where the interest comes in, is because it makes you stop and say, oh, wait a minute, that's not what I assumed it was going to be. And as a maker, that's what you want, because right. you want the viewer to stay and look at your quilt <laughs> right. for more than five seconds. Um, the strength of des the design lies in the contrast, not in the repetition, which is not to say that repetition is un unimportant. That being said, the design needs its repetitive features to create unity. So repetition can help create unity, and a little contrast goes a long way in making a strong design. Well, I think it makes sense to, to think of it. If you have no repetition, then where's the contrast? Because everything's contrast, so then it all just blurs into each other. Exactly. Yeah. 
the repetition allows the contrast to exist. Right. Again, with the, remember the chaos. Wow, we're getting really deep and philosophical here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody get your coffee. Stick with us. We're coming back to reality. <laughs> yeah. So if you... If you if there's a contrast in size and it's combined with a contrast in color, a focal point becomes even more obvious. So we're really getting into principles and elements working together here. So think about whether you've had a hard time trying to work with just one principle or element. The strength in this whole series is how to work with all the principles and elements together. So, and then, if it's not obvious, two-color quilts, they have good contrast. They have good contrast. Well, depending on the colors you use, I suppose, but yes. Um, they can have they good can contrast. Have good contrast. There are always exceptions. And, and when you yeah. were talking about how hard it is. So, and that's basically it for contrast. To, to try to, again, figure out when you said, you know, do you have a hard time trying to work with just one principle or element? I have a few times, you know, said to myself, okay, on this project, I'm really going to focus on X and really work on X. And I find eventually, well, no, I can't just work on X because I still have to think about Y and Z and I still have to figure out A, B, and C. Um, but that's where those postcards come in handy again <laughs> so mm -hmm. that you're not overwhelmed trying. If you're really wanting to focus on just one, to say I'm really going to work on contrast, it's easier to do that in that, that small size, that small format. Exactly. And you can you can get more done. Right. Right. I really I really want to see that series of quilts on all these design principles and elements, but I might be dead by the time I first <laughs> get done. All right. And again, as we always say, please do, listeners, let us know. As, as you're playing with these things or as you look back over quilts you've made in the past and you think, wow, that one I really did do a good job on um, contrast, even if I wasn't thinking about it as I was doing it. You know, as, as you said earlier, Jay, a lot of our design is intuitive. You know, we just, when we look at something, we either know it's right or we know it's wrong, even if we can't say why. Our job here in this design series is to help people understand why. Um, but so listeners, you know, post pictures, post them on Flickr, put them on Pinterest, send us the links, be part of this whole conversation. Um, and feel free to ask questions. If you're looking at something and you can't quite figure it out, ask other people. Um, because a lot of times we need that objective distance from our own design. You know, somebody else can see something more easily than we might be able to. Um, Jay, do you have any resources you want to recommend? We've, we've touched on them, you know, throughout all of these episodes, but do you have any you want to lift up again in case there's any new listeners? Well, I'm really, I'm really liking A Fiber Artist's Guide to Color and Design. That is a book, it's relatively new, maybe from last year by Heather Thomas, and she goes through each color, each design principle, and each design element with a page for each one, but for example, in contrast, she had a page for each of the different types of contrast. And I really like that book. My other go-to book is Design Basics by um, Pentak and Lauer. And that is a textbook 
you don't need the most recent version. You can get them used. I think we've talked about it before. I'm not making this stuff up, people. I am researching the different segments in books that I have and kind of putting together the best out of all of them. Those are the, if I had to pick two, those would be the two. I really started out liking Fearless Design by Lorraine Torrance, and I love her. I love her work, but it's really too small of a book. It doesn't get into the detail that I think your listeners want and need. We found that my design study group started out with that book, and we mm -hmm. really liked it for the first two or three lessons. And then after that, we did, it was that same feeling. We wanted more, and it headed in directions of things that we were like, well, no, we wanted more of, you know, your first three chapters and not so much of this other stuff. And now we are using a fiber artist guide to color and design and loving oh. it. That's, that's been a fantastic book for us. That's what I'm doing my homework on that I mentioned earlier. Um, oh, good. So that is a really good one. I, I will warn listeners, it did actually disappear briefly. It was unavailable. Um, but I actually emailed... Heather Thomas and asked her if it was going to come out again, and she said, yes, I have not gone back and checked. This was a few months ago, back when we were first starting to use it. Um, so look on Amazon, but also look on her website, and I will try to remember to link it in the show notes <laughs> to this episode. <laughs> um, if not, you'll probably also find it on Jay's blog. Um, it's Again, it may not be currently available, but you might be able to find it used if it's not. But she was planning on bringing it back. Yeah, and if Amazon doesn't have it used, then Abe Books, A-B-E Books, might have it. And the great thing about Abe Books is you can create a want, and they'll email you when a copy comes up. Oh, that is very helpful. So, so that's helpful. You don't have to remember to keep going back and checking. Right. They'll just email you if, if it's available. Maybe it's available in ebook version as well. Right. All right, is that it then for contrast? That's all I have for contrast. Okay. Um, again, listeners, talk back to us. Be a part of the conversation because um, the more examples people can see of what this means, then the more we're all learning from it. So. Exactly. All right, well, thank you again, Jay. I really appreciate you taking all the time not only to do this interview, but all the research you put into everyone. It's been wonderful. Oh, you're welcome. I'm happy to do it. It's really interesting. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. Thank you.